0: Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Surma Pod. This is the podcast for the Sports and Entertainment Risk Management Alliance. I am the host and also the founder and CEO of Surma, Rich Lankov. And today we've got a great guest on a very topical issue. Going to talk to us about the latest involving name, image, and licensing deals, and also the transfer portal in college athletics. We've got from Niagara University the dean of the College of Hospitality, Sport, and Tourism Management, Bridget Nyland. Dean, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Rich. Thanks so much for having you for having me.
0: Sure. sure. So you know, just over the last couple of days, I've seen a lot of uh, headlines involving both NIL and transfer portal. There's a great article on CBS discussing the um, exhaustion and burnout from NIL transfer portal and, and recruiting that college coaches are experiencing. I know Peloton just announced an NIL deal uh, with Michigan athletics. There's was a uh, UCLA star basketball player who gifted her teammates with some sleep pillows that she got through an NIL deal. So NILs are here to stay. Um, so talk to us about what's going on lately with NILs as it relates to college athletics.
1: You know, I think the the big buzzwords right now is are obviously the tracking of these really large gifts. I mean, in addition to the the sleep pillows being awarded uh, by that female student athlete, you have to have the quarterback of Notre Dame who just signed a uh an NIL deal with uh Beats by Dre and he's gifting all of his teammates um headphones, which I mean is wonderfully generous, but it is opening up a complete compliance era that the NCAA is never known to understand. I mean, I'm um, a little bit about my background is I I spent really probably for five years in Indianapolis with the NCA working a lot on the division one legislative issues. But prior to that, I was part of their uh, student representation in their management council. And back in those days, we were worried about students even being employed, um, even being able to hold down a part-time job on campus while they were being an NCA division one student athlete. And surely, you know, 25 years later, we're talking to kind of just a, a, um, a compliance landscape that we've never even seen before. And I think as everyone that has followed college sports or worked in college sports really almost beyond the reach of the NCA to even regulate at this point, um, you know the NCA has always focused its legislation on trying this principle of amateurism, which has been chipped away by numerous legal decisions in the past ten to fifteen years, to where it's really irrelevant. At your biggest programs, you have these uh, student athletes signing multi-million dollar deals. Um, student athletes, even at the smaller colleges we have uh, here at Niagara, we have some NIL deals that has even caused, you know, people to say you have one student that might even be bringing $30,000 in a year. What does that look like for the other student that doesn't have anything? I mean, that's 30,000 isn't quite to the level that you can gift things to your teammates. And so, you know, you're, you're seeing this uh, kind of, you know, reverberation go throughout the entire um, college sports industry. Interestingly, it's kind of the perfect storm because it also happened where the NCA was also receiving pressure on their very draconian transfer rules. So you really had a, probably the worst case scenario for a regulatory body in which you have legal decisions pressing you on your principle of amateurism, and you have state legislators kind of pressing you on almost like a student's rights, human rights ability to move freely within the marketplace. And both of those exploded at the same time. So you have students who can And I think one thing you and I talked about is you have an NIL deal and you have collectives now. We'll talk about collectives in a second, but you have a student who could come to an institution, accept a collective gift, be there for a year, maybe two and transfer. And that money that just went into that collective gift is gone, you know? Um, And so, you know, if you're a big enough school and you're uh, some of the, the bigger, the ones that have always made money. This is, this is not a problem that they can't handle because, you know, most problems can be addressed by money. But if you're slightly off that echelon, it's really causing even further division and resources between your well, well-situated schools and your non-situated schools. And I'm happy to talk more specifically about that if you want to explore those, the
0: impacts of that. Yeah, there's a lot to explore there, a lot to unpack I want to discuss. But, you know, um, having had the experience in Indianapolis with the NCA for as long as you did speak to, you know, did they envision that these changes and, you know, the changes in some of the laws that we've talked about in some of the case law, did they envision that it would lead to what we have today, which is, as you point out, you know, mass transfer students, you know, um, I think a program can't really rely now year to year on uh, the resources they'll have even coming into the season. I mean, we saw a great example of Colorado, right? Colorado was a, uh, at best can be considered a middle of the road football program for years and years, right? Would routinely lose between, you know, eight, nine games a season. Then suddenly they hire Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, who had, you know, great success in the last couple of years. Um and and suddenly it's you know, he transformed the entire team. I I, I think, you know, probably ninety percent of the team is new that came in to Colorado. Um, literally, uh, a friend of my daughter's who's starting at Colorado this week said she can't even envision getting tickets for herself because of the waiting list that's now developed. So that seems transformational, not just for college sports, but for the universities in general.
1: It is transformational. It's just also, I think, indicative. And I think you've seen a number of the former or um, the college commissioners from The early 2000s kind of step out and say, we warned you about this. I think Mike Trangisi, I was really interesting to see uh, Commissioner Trangisi stepped out. He was, of course, the commissioner of the Big East. And I have direct recall of a, a time when I sat in a management council meeting with him in the late 90s, early 2000s about some of the decisions that schools were making at that time regarding TV money. And I really think if we were to able tie everything back down to what is creating the chaos You know, people can say it's amateurism. People can say it's student-athlete rights. Really what it comes down to is what I remember Commissioner Trangisi talking about all those years ago of the more money that we position our schools to take in, the more scrutiny they're going to be under for not compensating the student-athletes who are actually fueling that project. And the the more we have a hard time really defending or even saying that we're amateurism. And, you know, of course, he... At the, that time, the Big East was one considered one of the power five, and that is no longer the case, obviously that 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 um, has been split. But that is also, you know, two, several years later, you had this influx of TV money, which essentially broke up that contract. and you see the influx of TV money now causing the you know the huge realignment we're seeing. It's all connected, and it all can be traced back to Colorado in a really pivot of the road. And so when all that news broke about Colorado this spring, The one thing that struck me from my time in Indianapolis, both there, so I was there as there as a student athlete rep for three, four years, then there as an employee for five, and then as a consultant for another 10, and I was a Division II college athletic instructor for another five. So, you know, going back a lot of years, it used to be this concept of student athlete welfare. And what's really interesting is now the NCAA is really hard to justify student athlete welfare. So though while there's much excitement over Coach Prime, and the, you know, impending uh, season that we have out there in Boulder. Um, What about all those kids that he just cut? Just cut. I mean, these were young people that will not be returning, that kind of were hit out of the blue, that were treated very much like when you're cutting a a farm league baseball team. You heard nothing of that. There was no no outcry from the NCAA about student-athlete welfare. I mean, they really couldn't. They have lost their footing to really take that you know, and there wasn't to take a stance on that in a really credible way. You just can't take that, which I really think is what Commissioner Trangisi was getting back to all those years ago of this road we're going down, that we're chasing all these dollars, it has implications that we can't even fathom in 1998. And I, I think he's correct on that. I think what he's fathoming is what we're seeing now the collective, the transfer portal, which is causing huge exhaustion to coaches and recruiters. And here's the other thing it's disenfranchising high school kids because you're no longer really looking at high school kids anymore. You're checking to see who's in the portal. Um the institution I'm at, we have um you know our men's basketball team almost has a new team. And you know, I love Coach Paulis, but that is is that good for an institution? And then from an athletics director standpoint, if you have new if you have new athletes on small roster teams, probably not as much football, What does that do for coach development? How can you hold a coach kind of accountable if every year they're in a rebuilding phase because they lost half their roster to the portal and to NIL deals? Because student athletes are savvy. They're using that portal as a way to get better and leverage NIL deals. So they're going in the portal and then they're getting these better offers from schools, better financially situated. And it's like getting a job offer, right? Like, okay, to keep me here, I need X money. And so you have to scramble to find that money, often taking that money away from other donations that would have gone to the university and college. That won't hurt the big guys, but you're going to start seeing the squeeze on the mid-majors and the historical division ones where they just simply can't keep up.
0: So Dean, you you raise a lot of interesting points again, but you and I have talked about this in the past. And Speaking about students, student-athletes who are cut and also student-athletes who are navigating these new, relatively new and uncharted waters uh, with these offers coming in, um, what resources does the NCAA provide to both the athletes that, like in Coach Prime's case, he cut, and the new athletes coming in when faced with these offers? These are complicated legal dealings that your average student-athlete is not equipped to handle.
1: I think especially anyone who's worked with me or for me or, you know, I've worked for them. I think there's no secret on my standpoint that the one thing that I learned early on in my own athletic career is that student athletes are not members of the NCAA. They're not. Coaches aren't really members of the NCAA. The core function of the NCAA is a trade association that looks out for the universities and their members. That's who pays their dues. So when you ask about what resources are available for student athletes who get pushed out from a new coach or get... Drawn into the portal, enticed by thinking that they were going to make somewhere bad some someplace better. And and by the way, even though the NSA frowns upon it, schools still simply you know if you want to go in the portal, that's fine, but you're going to forfeit your right to renew your financial aid scholarship. So that's a huge choice that these students make. So they put their name in the portal, and maybe they don't get picked up, and maybe their spot on their current roster is gone. Like these are big issues for these young people, and they're isn't a lot of resources to guide students through the portal process. And and you can't call the NCAA as a student athlete and say, can you help me? Can you, you know, can you give me some guidance? Um, The NCAA used to have public phones and I used all of us in the um, membership services, which is now legislative services and AMA, used to work those lines and we were able to contact directly with student-athletes and give them support, which sometimes did cause some heartburn between our member schools. And there was more than a number of occasions where we would give student-athletes some advice that was in their best interest, but perhaps not the best interest of the member. And we were you know, guided by a reminder of, remember, the member institution is so-and-so and you're that's who we're serving. We're a trade association for them. We're the student-athletes are part and parcel to that, but they don't have like, you know, that concept. And I think it's a real misnomer out to even the most well-versed sports fan or college sports fan, that two critical points that there's there's two key actors in every college sports situation, the student-athlete and the coach, and neither of whom have direct representation in the NCAA legislative process or even the conference legislative process. They don't vote. They don't have any voice. Neither of those two entities have a voice on certain topics. Plain rules, yes, coaches do. But these type of rules that we're talking about right now, they do not. And I think that's where you see the university and the dollar signs and their protection their ability to protect the risks, Rich, really come to the forefront.
0: Dean, you mentioned the realignment um, that has gone on over the last few weeks. I mean last few years, but also most prominent in the last few weeks. And you know a lot of our listeners and viewers might have missed some of this because it, you know, the middle of the summer, but want well, to give that some context. I mean, the PAC-12 has been around in some shape or form for 108 years. In the space of a few days, it was gone. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it was gone. It was reduced to four teams uh, that are sort of out there in the wilderness. Um, right. What's the correlation between what you're talking about as it relates to NILs and transfer portals and, you know, what's happened with the PAC-12 and now the big, um, the big what, 15, 16, whatever the big okay. 10 is now, is now called? What's the relationship there?
1: Well, I think the, the relationship is money. I think the, you know, obviously a lot of it is driven by the television networks who, you know, they want to pick and choose. They they really are. We're starting to see or what's formulating is these kind of two mega conferences and the Southeast Conference and the Big Ten. All, you know, the Big 12, I think, is making a play for that as well. But these mega conferences that have the most television worthy teams in there so that they can get the me- most money. From the networks. And if they have the most money for the networks, that allows them to, you know, kind of per- create resources to really support, you know, probably support some counterbalance of losing NIL money to the student athletes, because that's really what's happening, right? So when you have student athletes being able to make their own deals with businesses that maybe were boosters. Maybe we're like that. Where's that money missing? Like, so the money that used to go to the university for the connection to those athletes, well, those athletes can now deal directly on their own. So that's going to be money that doesn't necessarily have to go into the institution. So there is some of that, you know, just kind of building up your resources. I'm more steep now in the world of higher ed. And th- Outside of your elite institutions, every other institution, even your strong flagship universities are feeling the pinch of the cost of running a university. So there's no president around that would turn down a more lucrative television deal. Um, But they do have consequences. So chasing that money and creating these mega conferences is either further exacerbating people leaving. So now, okay, I want a better deal, either just a better... Well situated athletics program with more money, I'm I'm going to be looking to get to some of those conferences those those conferences with those bigger schools. So I mean it it does come down. I mean it's always about the television money. When I teach Intro to Sport Management here at Niagara or the law I teach over at the University of Buffalo Law School, I would say if you're ever in doubt of a question and you have to guess, just say it's about TV money, because essentially you would probably get partial credit because when we're talking about the regulation of college sports or its organi- or, or its organizational governance structure it typically comes down to tv money how it drives it the transfer portal just a lot the transfer portal on nil now kind of let the student athletes play in that game that's been going on for the past 20 years because they they have cachet and they can take their name their image their likeness and their endorsement deals to other to other schools
0: need to the extent that some of the issues that you're talking about will continue to have negative impacts on athletes in some respects, some athletes for sure, and in college athletics and universities in general, you know, there's generally two ways to try to remedy that, right? Legislation and litigation. I know that there is legislation pending from three senators among them, Cory Booker, I believe, Richard Blumenthal, um, that deals with uh, NILs. Um, do you anticipate, you know, what do you foresee there? And what do you foresee in terms of any litigation arising from this new world we're living in?
1: So I think obviously the hiring of Charlie Baker um, as the NCAA president was a definite like nod to how badly the NCAA as a regulatory body, as a trade association needs some sort of solution to keep their organization alive from the federal government. Um, you know, obviously uh governor Baker coming out of Massachusetts has the connections he needs and that the NCAA needs to try to see that, I, you know, I mean, the worst possible time we're a divided country on so many different issues, including college sports and college sports spills over into state's rights. So what you have is you have the Booker and Blumenthal that is a little bit more student athlete friendly, leaning to the student athletes. You know, you could probably chart where that's popular and it would probably chart along the same lines as our red and blue, you know, and then you have some stuff coming out from um, Senator Tubbleville And, um, that's more leaning towards institutions and businesses. And so that's where we are. Like we have welcomed to where even college sports becomes red and blue. Um, so I think, you know, everyone's I haven't any, I haven't heard anyone say that they're cautiously optimistic that that's going to be, that those are, those are typically words of like, well, I see a path forward and we might be able to get there. You know, you'll hear legislators or lawyers say, I'm cautiously optimistic that, that a solution is at hand. I I haven't, maybe it's out there, but I haven't seen anyone even get to the point where they're saying, I'm cautiously optimistic that we're going to get support from the federal government on this. So, I mean, I, I think that it's going to then be left to individual states and you can see Missouri just to pass more NIL friendly language to universities and student athletes. It's, it's just some student athletes. I mean, that's the struggle with all of this. Even when we go back to conference realignment, like, and even those three bills that we have pending in Congress, they're only friendly towards some student athletes. Like they're, we're, we're kind of really just really positioning your high level professional student athletes in our revenue sports. And that's what you're seeing with this conference alignment. So You know, how student athlete friendly is it going to be for student athletes from UCLA and USC to be out on the East Coast during the week competing in soccer? You know, so that's where these bills only address part of the problem. So that's legislatively. We'll see. We haven't seen we've seen we haven't seen the activity we wanted to see at the federal level. We've seen a lot of activity at the state level, which brings up litigation. So the states have moved ahead. The NCAA doesn't like to see what they're seeing from the states. So they were as bold enough in June to somehow insinuate that the NCA rules could trump state law, which that's where you're going to see litigation. The minute the NCAA tries to take a bold move, the there's going to be litigation either towards the state or the NCAA by the university saying that there, there's a problem with the contracts, that they're violating or, or tampering with contracts, either, either entity. Either the state legislation is going to you know, complying with state legislation, which my state, New York, is one of those states that says, it says clearly, you know, New York state law would trump any other type of organization. So does Syracuse listen to the state and then get in trouble with the NCA? And so there's going to be lawsuits over that if if really either group moves forward. Um, So unless there is a federal, federal solution, you're going to see litigation if any entity starts coming out and pressing for one scenario over the other. So where does that leave us? It doesn't really leave us in any other situation than we were a year ago with an NIL, a portal and conference realignment, creating just a really quizzical scenario for any college administrator to try to be figuring out.
0: Niagara University Dean of the College of Hospitality, Sport and Tourism Management, Bridget Nyland, thank you so much for bringing us up to speed on the NIL and Transfer Portal news. Please come back and keep us updated. And uh, good luck to the Purple Eagles this year.
1: Thank you so much, Rich. Thank you so much, Rich.
0: Ideas, strategies, and
1: opinions represented on this podcast are those of the speakers and do not represent the ideas, strategies, and opinions of their employers.